Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Megan Hall, in for Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. The COVID public health emergency may be officially over, but we're all still feeling the aftermath. Mental health counselor and singer-songwriter Allison Rose is using music to help herself and others heal. This summer, she's releasing an album that includes songs about her father, who died of COVID. And she regularly uses music with her clients. Our conversation and Allison's music after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Allison Rose, a local singer-songwriter. Welcome, Allison. Thank you for having me. You're from Rhode Island, and you say you grew up on piano lessons and choir rehearsals. When did you fall in love with music and sort of choose it for yourself? I think I was about eight or nine, and I had a toy keyboard, and I started just kind of like picking out little melodies by ear and doing mini concerts for my family. I remember one Christmas, I learned a bunch of Christmas songs, just single notes on the keyboard and made my family sit and listen to me. And at some point they realized that I was serious and got me a a freebie clunker old piano and connected me with lessons and went from there. It was the only thing I ever really did. I didn't do sports or anything else, just music. And then you minored in music in college. What did you major in? What were you doing alongside music? I majored in psychology. My plan was either to be a musician or a therapist, mental health counselor. And now I'm both. So, (laughs) Yeah. When did you realize you could combine your two passions? Not until the past few years. I dealt with a lot of stage fright and just insecurity musically. I did it all through school and then put it away for a while and did grad school and had kids and got married and all the things. About 10 or so years ago, I got back into playing music and kind of worked on overcoming stage fright to the extent that I could. Um, What pulled you back? Did something happen at that moment that made you take the leap? I was always friends with musicians and always friends with the band and always around. So I guess I just got sick of watching everybody else do what I wanted to do and was like, you know, I'm going to have to get over myself and and do this. So I just started small, played in a nursing home, was like my first gig. That was your first gig? Yes. (laughs) How how did the audience receive you? 
like a, a group of folks with dementia would. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they love that. They appreciate people coming in and socializing with them and singing. And then once I got more into that and, and it became a bigger part of my life, then I started trying to seek out ways to incorporate creativity in with my career as a therapist. So tell me, how do you do that? What kind of connections were you able to make to, to bring those two together? I had to figure that out along the way. I was too chicken at the time to go into even music therapy. There are programs that specialize in that. So I put that on the shelf and just did, you know, straight mental health counseling. But I found an organization based out of Pawtucket called Peace Love, and they train folks in a series of workshops that they've created. At the time, I was working for the state psychiatric hospital here in Rhode Island, and I was kind of seeking a way to bring creativity to those patients and also to myself, feeling a little dry in, in a state government system. And that was sort of my first step into starting to see what it looked like to really combine this stuff for me. And was this at Eleanor Slater or where it was? Yep. So what did you do with those patients? How did you bring music to their therapy? Couple of things. We did a lot. There was a lot of art. There was a lot of painting and, and stuff going on there. Separate from Peace Love, a coworker of mine actually started a band with the patients. Cool. Um, because me- most of those patients are there very, very long term, years, decades sometimes. And many of them, you know, before they became very ill, they played music. You know, we had a drummer there, we had a guitarist there, you know. Um, so we were like, hey, let's start a band. So that became more of like music. It wasn't formally music therapy. It was more like music as therapy, but it kind of gave them a sense of normalcy and, you know, access to do something that they loved because I know if I were in their shoes and I didn't have my instrument as my outlet, you know, that's does something to your soul. So yeah, we did that. What was the band called? Do you remember? We didn't have a name. No, we never named the band. Now that you mention it, I don't think we named you the band. You needed merch. You needed the I whole know, thing. I know. <laughs> yeah. Was it any good? Like, were these talented musicians or? They were pretty good. It was it was a mixed bag for sure. Yeah. But our core group that, you know, there were some pe- folks that came in and out and, you know, came, got discharged, you know, but the core group of, of guys we had, yeah, they got pretty good. The more we, more we practiced, the more they kind of learned how to play together. And yeah, it was pretty fun. And would you sing with them or did they have their own thing? Both. I actually did sing with them a couple of times. Yeah. We did uh, a Tracy Chapman, the fast car song. And I sang that with them. We did some concerts. They have like holiday events, you know, like a Thanksgiving party where everyone could kind of gather in the gym and we would perform for them. And sometimes I'd jump in with them or sometimes I would just perform too. Very cool. Tell me about other ways that you use music with your clients. You're saying it's not technically music therapy, but can you give me a specific example of how you bring that into your mental health work? Yeah. um, The arts and music is one of them, are ways that we connect with each other. There are outlets for us to express things from internally, you know, and externalize them. And then for the people on the other side of that, it also can connect. So some of the songs I have written on a personal level are outlets for me processing whatever I'm going through, more recently grief. When I put that out there and I tell that story and I sing the song, usually there's somebody else understands and connects with that. So bringing that into therapy, you know, I've written songs with clients. We'll analyze lyrics of a song that speaks to them. We'll just 
play instruments. Um, we'll use rhythm and sound and, and in group settings play collaboratively. So it kind of brings people together. So there's a lot of different benefits to that and ways to use that. What do you think music does that other forms of fer- therapy maybe aren't able to do or not able to do quite as well? What does music unlock in people? Many people have a hard time or feel limited with the traditional, like what you think of therapy coming into an office and sitting and staring at each other and talking. Like, all right, now dump everything personal to you on me while we're sitting staring at each other. There's nothing wrong with that. I do that. I've done that for years. Plenty of good work and healing can can come out of that. But for many people, especially people that naturally express themselves in that way, it's another outlet. Folks that are less verbal. So when I was in the state hospital, a lot of a lot of those people had um, psychosis and things like that going on, and and it's more difficult to sit and have an hour long therapy session with them. So using music can connect with them in a different way and have them express themselves. Um, I don't work with young kids, um, but teens. If you put a fourteen year old in front of you and say, "Talk to me," I mean. How well does that usually go? <laughs> so it's just another way, it's just another outlet, another way to connect with people. And you talked earlier about how you've been using music to sort through your grief. And I understand that your father died of COVID. Do you mind telling me a little bit about him? What was he like? <laughs> he was my person. He was the the kind of person who would quite literally do anything for anyone. Never said no to me a day in my life. Hmm. Loved music. Was a not a musician himself, kind of a closet singer, but was pretty well known in Rhode Island supporting musicians, especially singer-songwriters and in the folk and country music world. Putting on shows, advocating for his favorite musicians to get booked places, you know. So he did a lot of that. He he worked for the Rhode Island Lottery for 30-something years in maintenance, collected antiques. So also any antique dealer in the state knows him. Yeah. How did he feel about your career as a musician? Uh, he was at almost every show. <laughs> yeah, he's my biggest fan and my biggest critic. Critic, too? Yeah. So what would he order? What were his criticisms? Oh, I mean, he'd be the first, he'd be the first to be like, yeah, that wasn't your best set. <laughs> Just stuff like that. You know? To improve, to help you improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah not, not, yeah, yeah. yeah, not in a, you know, condescending or like critical, critical way. Just, you know, in a dad way, like, yeah, your voice was a little, your voice was a little off today. That wasn't your best, you know, but, <laughs> but also, you know, he was always there in the front row, following me around, helping me carry my guitar around and you know, telling all his friends what I do. So when he died, how did you use your training as a mental health professional and your training as a musician to sort of process losing someone so important to you? Well, I reconnected with my own therapist. (laughs) Most of us have our own therapist. I had actually taken some time off even pre-COVID, I was starting to get a little burnt out musically, actually. I stopped booking gigs and just kind of took some time off, even though my dad was not too happy about that. He's like, you go to play. And then the pandemic happened and kind of forced everybody to either take a break or be very creative about how they make and perform music. But then when he got sick and 
then passed away, obviously, here comes the guitar. I tend to write sort of mellow, tearjerker, melancholy songs anyway. Um, so naturally, at the saddest point in my life, plenty of songs <laughs> came out of that. <laughs> some keepers, some not, but yeah. Yeah, I imagine when you're so deep in grief and emotion, is it easier or harder to write a good song? Are you so flooded with emotion you can't focus on your craft or, or does it kind of flow through you? For me, it's easier, personally. Um, I, I think a, any other creative person would have their own answer to that. For me, it's easier. One, I tend to be, I'm very self-critical. I don't actually even write many songs. I write better, actually, in an emotional state. I think it because I'm focused more on that than overanalyzing what I'm doing in the moment. So things, it occurred to me that I don't really write well when I'm happy. So I was too, I guess I was too happy for a while and didn't write songs for a while. <laughs> I had to, I had to get sad <laughs> and write some more songs. Do you mind playing for us one of the songs that you wrote about your dad? Sure. I'll play Where Does a Prayer Go? That song actually I wrote while my dad was in the ICU. When bad things are happening, a lot of what you hear is I'm praying for you. People are well-intentioned, you know, by, by, any, by no means am I, you know, not appreciative of that. But when you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and their friends and their friends that know your father and all that, and they're praying and praying and praying and bad things still happen, that was sort of like my question, where does a prayer go? Should I say it out loud? Can I say it in my head? If I sit and write it down I wouldn't know where I should send it Well, it never really made sense to me To talk to the sky But the birds and the balloons And the sun seem to know why Is anybody listening? Tell me, where does a prayer go when it's parted from your lips? Is there a God that I should thank or blame or cry to for all this? And if he's even there, I wouldn't know what to say. You said you, you wrote that song while your dad was in the ICU. Did you ever play it for him? No. No, I didn't. Um, he was not conscious, and, you know, we had music playing for him, but it being, you know, kind of when it was in the pandemic, there were still very many precautions. He was there for a long time, and I was there every day. So I kind of was able to, you know, weasel my way around sometimes. But yeah, I couldn't, it wasn't a time where I could like bring the guitar in. I would sing to him sometimes, you know, just me. But yeah, he never heard this batch of songs. What is it like 
singing them? Does it bring your father back to you? Does it make you feel better, make you feel worse? Um, that's, that's a good question. It makes me feel better knowing I wrote them. It makes me feel proud that I wrote them. I feel like they're some of my best songs that I've written. It makes me feel sad that he won't get to hear them or see me perform them. There's been a lot of cool opportunities that I've had recently, this being one of them. So, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get to see kind of what's happened as a result, which is kind of ironic because it's he died and then I wrote these songs and kind of things. You know what I mean? It's kind of circular, but yeah, all those things. What do you think he would say if he heard this music and knew what you were doing? Oh, he would be proud. Yeah, for sure. We are all processing what happened during the pandemic. Some of us had more hardship than others, Mm -hmm. but I think it's rattled everybody. And now the pandemic is sort of, you know, officially over. The health emergency is officially over. But I almost feel like this is when it's all kind of hitting us. Are, Are you seeing that with your clients? Are people still grappling with the loss that they experience, just the the trauma of the whole thing? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes whether they realize that that's kind of the reason or not, if you try finding a therapist, many have wait lists. And I'm not even going to talk about the state of our hospitals and more acute care needs for folks. But yeah, people are needing help. It rears its ugly head in many different ways, anxiety and depression and substance use, eating disorders, everything that may have already been there. Seem, you know, that stuff seems to increase. What's your advice to people that are struggling with this, especially struggling with, you know, the death of a loved one after COVID? To process it <laughs> is, a st- is a nice start. And doing that in a way, reaching out for help. If you feel like you need professional help, reach out and find a therapist, find someone. If you have a good, healthy support system, use them. I had a lot of people reach out to me and offer to help, and I'm not somebody that's comfortable with receiving help. I'm a very independent person. Um, But there were many points where I just had to say, yes, I cannot do everything on my own. I did... My dad was not married, and I'm his oldest child, and my brother is in the military. Every medical decision, everything was me. So any bits of help that I could have, the things that make you a whole person, whether it's music, what, you know, if, if you are athletic, whatever the things that, you, that are that you love, um, embrace those, prioritize them as a part of your life, no matter how busy you are. Where can people hear your work and get your album? I have a, an album that's planned for release sometime this summer. A lot of challenges and years put into finishing that. Any new shows coming soon in Rhode Island that people can um, go see you? The next thing is Providence Porch Fest on the east side. That's June 10th. And that's a concert series where people just playing on folks' front porches? Yes. Yep. Bunch of people, I guess, on the east side of Providence joined up and created this porch fest and, you know, are kind of booking a day of musicians kind of rotating through on each of their porches. And you can kind of wander around and folks can check out a bunch of their friends performing or new people. 
Well, Allison Rose, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you mind playing us out? Sure. I'll play Monarch after my dad died. I'm not a person who believes in signs, like signs from the beyond. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty down-to-earth person. And uh, I started seeing butterflies everywhere to the point where I was like, this is kind of weird. So this song, Monarch, is kind of about me wrestling with if there is a message behind that or not. Hey, Monarch, I didn't know you liked the beach, but you've been sitting here with me. Does the sun burn your wings? Hey, Monarch, where'd you come from? Where are you going? Or do you even know it? Please don't leave without me. They say you've got a message for me. They say you mean something, but Monarch, why is that so hard to believe? You can watch Allison perform some of her new music on this season of Ocean State Sessions on Rhode Island PBS. Hey, Monarch. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by me, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hillman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Megan Hall. Ed will be back next week. Well, I don't believe in messages. But if you've got something, then Monarch, I'll be Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.